2: from KQED. Hey, everyone from KQED Public Radio, this is Political Breakdown. I'm Marisa Lagos.
0: And I'm Scott Schaefer. And today on The Breakdown, as coronavirus cases surge and California announces a new shelter in place order, we're very excited to have with us a man who you might not have heard of just a year ago, but who is now one of the most recognizable faces in America.
2: We're talking, of course, about Dr. Anthony Fauci. He's head of the National Institute of Allergies and Infectious Diseases, if you hadn't heard yet. And he's also become known as America's doctor over the course of this pandemic. Dr. Fauci, welcome to The Breakdown.
3: Uh, Thank you for having me. Appreciate it.
2: We're very excited to get to speak with you. Um, as we mentioned, we just heard moments ago, Governor Gavin Newsom here in California issue a stay at home order, um, that will potentially uh, affect the entire state. We're talking regional, um, divided by region. And when ICUs hit only 15% capacity, it will trigger this order. He's saying people don't need to, you know, they can still go out and exercise and such, but he wants really people to limit their activity. What are your thoughts on this?
3: You know, I've actually spoken to some of the health authorities in California, and I think that this is a prudent and correct decision on the part of the governor, I do. And the reason is that the, you are all on a brink, literally on the threshold of getting the uh, almost unimaginable situation of getting the healthcare system overrun. You just can't let that happen. That is unimaginable and unacceptable. And I think to anticipate that as you look at the numbers throughout the country, including in California, that the numbers are going up. It's a steep slope. And we have not yet seen the full brunt of what we expect to be yet again another surge, hopefully a mini surge as opposed to a major one, but there almost invariably will be a surge associated with what went on last week with Thanksgiving, with the travel, the travel, of people coming into San Francisco, the travel of people coming back from where you came from, and the congregate settings of dinners, innocent, understandable dinners of friends and family, that generally will result in a spike. The trouble is the spike won't come for about two and a half to three weeks after the Thanksgiving holiday, which would put it right before the Christmas and Hanukkah holiday, which is kind of a double whammy. So we are in a really precarious situation. And because of the stress on the health care system, I think what the governor did was both prudent and advisable. I would have direct, I mean, I spoke to some of his health people, and I said I would back them in that decision. So I certainly back what the governor's doing.
0: You know, we've seen governors in different states doing this very differently, you know, from places like North Dakota, where the governor has said I don't believe in a mask mandate to California, which has been, you know, more shut down, more cautious. And yet we seem to be seeing the same result to a certain extent, no matter what states or for that matter countries do. And I'm wondering, you know, how do you, how do you perceive that? And what do you make of it? What does it tell no, us? You no,
3: know, I think initially, you may think you're seeing the same result, but when it really plays out, there's no doubt in my mind that when you compare those states, those cities, those locations that implemented significant public health measures. That could be things short of a shutdown or it could include a shutdown and compare it with a comparable state, city, town, location, all other things being equal, there's no doubt that when you mitigate, be that just uniform, mask wearing, distancing, avoiding crowds or the kinds of shutdowns that you're talking about, it does make a difference. And you should be assured of that.
2: Do you feel, I mean, one of the things we have seen in our very sort of diverse nation, as Scott mentioned, is different approaches, but also different communication, Uh, mixed messages from President Trump on down. I'm curious how much you feel because the truth is, if you know, I live in San Francisco, but what people do in other parts of my state matter. Um, how much do you feel like we need to focus on just having clearer communication and guidelines across the United States, so that people are kind of hearing the same message?
3: Yeah, said another way, mixed messages are bad. <laughs> <laughs> okay? So that's the short answer to what you're saying. You're right. One of the problems inherent in mixed messages is that provides license for people to do things according to their own preconceived notions. Because if they hear that going left is right, going right is right, then they say, I'm going to go wherever I want to go because it's a 50-50 chance. That's not good. We need consistent messages at all levels.
0: To what extent do you think it's harder in a state like California, which is so large, 39, 40 million people? Is it harder in a place like this to come up with a consistent message?
3: Well, you know, it depends harder than what? Harder than a place like Wyoming that has um, less than a million people? Yeah, of course. You know, you have a very diverse state. I mean, you know, the northern part of California is quite different from southern California in so many ways. I'm telling you guys things you know better than (laughs) than I
0: do. You've been out here, we know uh, that.
3: Yeah, yes, of course, messaging is is much harder when you have a very large, diverse state.
2: Are we where you thought we would be at this point in March, better, worse, how are we faring?
3: I I think I would have to say, honestly, worse. Mm. Um, I thought that we were going to have a uniform public health response um, that would not have allowed us to never get below a precarious baseline and every time we try to do something like open up the economy we'd blip up and then come down and then we do this we blip up and now we're going into winter we're going into the holidays and we're seeing the same thing however having said all those sobering statements help is on the way because we have an extraordinarily efficacious vaccines plural more than one vaccine That will start to be implemented and distributed in the middle and end of December, and then as we get into January, February, March, more and more and more people will be vaccinated, so that by the time we get to April, it will be available for the general public. You know, people who are young like you guys, no underlying disease. You know, you're you're ready to go. Keep talking. (laughs) Keep talking. Right. And in fact, once we get a substantial proportion of the population vaccinated. We'll get that umbrella of herd immunity that will ultimately crush this outbreak. We will crush this outbreak, I guarantee you. That to me is incentive for now in a precarious situation that we're in, and we don't have a vaccine widely available, it's more incentive to double down even more and say, although, Things like lockdowns, things that the governor is trying to do, are difficult and strain, straining, you know, your 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 comfort, your economy, and all those things. The fact is that at the end of the day, it will get us through, and then when a vaccine comes in full blast. We're going to be out of this. Well, let me ask you about that.
0: Yeah. Let Let me just ask you about that, because as you know, there's a lot of skepticism and doubt, even among some health professionals, according to polls, about whether or not this vaccine is safe, whether it's been rushed, uh, whether it's been overly politicized, uh, which, of course, you know, is not helpful. The president's press secretary today uh, corrected a reporter who called it the Pfizer vaccine, and she said, you mean the Trump vaccine? I mean, all these things can't be helpful. Uh, so how do you how do you get over that?
3: I have to take a deep breath now <laughs> <laughs> before before I answer that. Um, well, Let's go step by step. These skepticisms are understandable when there are mixed messages. But take two things, the speed at which it has been done, and then take the determination that it's safe and effective. First, the speed. The fact that we were able to go from the recognition of a brand new virus in January to vaccine that's able to be distributed by December is a completely unprecedented accomplishment. It is spectacular, not because it was rushed by compromising safety or scientific integrity, because of the extraordinary scientific advances that have been made in vaccine platform technologies, which is the fruit of basic and applied research that's been going on for decades. This isn't something that just popped up. This is people who've been working throughout the country and the world for decades on exquisite technologies that have allowed us to do things in weeks to months that a decade ago would have taken several years. So the speed does not compromise anything. Then you say, what about the safety and the efficacy? Is this safe and effective, or is this the administration trying to prove that they've done something really well, or the company's trying to make a lot of money. It's neither of the two, and here's why. Because the determination of safety and efficacy is made by an independent data and safety monitoring board that has allegiances not to the the president, not to the administration, and not to the company. It has an allegiance to the American public. They are a group of independent scientists, statisticians, ethicists, vaccinologists they look at the data and when they determine that the data show safety and efficacy they then and only then release it to the company which then examines it gives it to the fda where career scientists not politicians but career scientists who do this every day for decades they examine the data and then in accordance with their advisory committee which is another independent committee, determine if it's safe and able to be given to the American public. So you have a process that is not only independent, it's completely transparent. So nobody can hide anything because the data ultimately is gonna be published in a peer-reviewed journal. So we've gotta be able to communicate that to the American public, that even though there's a lot of skepticism, The process is independent and transparent, period. Right.
2: Fauci says take the vaccine. You heard it here. (laughs) Um, I want to switch gears in the last few minutes we have with you to talk a little bit about your previous experience. Um, this was World AIDS Day this week. That was really where you cut your teeth as a young government scientist. And it was a tough time. I mean, there was a lot of anger from the especially the gay community around what they felt like was not an urgent response from the government. Um, and you got a lot of flack personally, and you ended up kind of reaching out and and really going into the community and, and getting to know the people who were protesting against you. And I'm just curious what you learned then that you've kind of brought with you now i mean that was such a charged and and also terrifying time for so many people
3: well that that was really one of the more transforming periods in my own professional career in my own life in which i made a decision which retrospectively really turned out to be a good decision was to reach out to the community in this case it was dominated by young gay men in San Francisco and in New York and in Los Angeles, because they had some very valid points that the government, the scientific and regulatory community just did not fully appreciate the situation they were in. And they excluded the constituents from participation in important decision-making that had a great impact on their lives and their death. Um, And yet, no one was listening to them. So they became iconoclastic, theatrical, uh, confrontative, which unfortunately turned off the government and the scientific and regulatory community even more. What I did, which I think was one of the better things I've ever done in my career, was I said, you know, let me listen to what they're saying, put aside the theatrics, put aside the iconoclastic behavior, and listen to what they were saying. And it became eminently clear to me that what they were saying really made sense. And if I were in their shoes, I would have been doing exactly what they were doing. And that's when I said, I need to sit down and start talking to these people. And once we did that, we found out that we had a lot in common. Uh, And that's when the bonds of collaboration began decades ago to the point now where they're a very productive component of what we do, so Speak, it turned out to be a really good, good, good event, good, good result.
0: Speaking of theatrics and iconoclasts, uh, you might describe uh, the current president uh, with some of those kinds of words. And you've worked for a lot of presidents, uh, very different approaches, different styles. Um, how? What have you learned, both from you know your experience with the AIDS epidemic and working you know at these levels of government about politicians? and about political leadership?
3: Well, you know, I've served for six administrations, soon to serve my seventh, um, and they're all different. And their administrations are often uh, uh, determined and, 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 and driven by the circumstances in which their administration takes place. I mean, a big difference between the early years of HIV with Reagan, um, between um, the uh, situation with George W. Bush with 9-11, with the outbreaks of Ebola and Zika and pandemic flu with Obama, and now with the COVID outbreak with Trump. So they have different challenges and they handle them in different ways. The one thing I've learned is that it's important as a scientist and as a public health person that it's absolutely essential that I stay above and beyond the politics and focus completely on the public health, the scientific issues, because that's what I'm supposed to be doing. Once you start getting involved in ideology and political things, you just lose any credibility. So I have stayed completely away from the politics and focused on what my job is, which is public health and the safety and the health of the American public. You do that, you're in good shape.
2: That's the Sicilian roots help a little bit?
3: It does.
2: (laughs) I think you you don't give yourself enough credit for how politically astute you are, (laughs) however.
3: You're a survivor. (laughs) Yeah, nothing personal, strictly business, right?
2: (laughs) Dr. Anthony Fauci, thank you so much for your time and all the work you do on behalf of all of us.
3: Thank you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Take care.
2: All right, we're going to take a short break now. And when we come back, we'll be joined by Erin Alday. She is health reporter at the San Francisco Chronicle. You're listening to Political Breakdown from KQED Public Radio. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique
4: blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book.
3: Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.
2: Welcome back to Political Breakdown. I'm Marisa Lagos here with Scott Schaefer, and we are now thrilled to be joined by Erin Alday. She is health reporter at the San Francisco Chronicle and a former colleague of mine. Good to see you.
1: Great to see you, Marisa. Thanks for having me.
2: So you just heard... Oh my gosh we got to talk to dr fauci can i like geek out a little bit on that you're making me
1: follow dr fauci
0: (laughs) such an iconic voice now yeah
2: i know so i mean aaron you've been following this all year you have been the health reporter at the chronicle for a very long time written a lot about the aids epidemic that that dr fauci spoke about but I, i mean broad brush strokes any any just reaction to what you heard from him
1: um you know i will say i mean you know he's He obviously is just so kind of pragmatic about this. And I just I think that's one of the things that really people respond to is just how he just kind of lays it out in such a way that it's it's very much based on facts and science, very understanding of where people are coming from. But like he's just very blunt in the way he approaches everything. Right. Like, I think that's something that people that makes him so effective as sort of a communicator and a leader in this is that. He's blunt. He doesn't kind of hold back. He just like the way he was talking about California and his reaction to the order today from from Governor Newsom, um, you know, was very much like, yeah, things are not looking great. This is the right thing to do. That's, you know,
2: it's, it's kind of, of refreshing.
1: Nice to Yeah, it, yeah. Is, it is very refreshing. Like he doesn't dance around it. He doesn't use the sort of official language um, and he doesn't go to like scare tactics either. He's just very. You know, like I said, very blunt with it, very straight.
0: Well, and it's a, sort of an indication of his uh, this the status that he has. That Governor Newsom apparently reached out to him and asked him if he would support what they're doing, and he wanted to get that uh, the blessing <laughs> from Dr. Yes. Fauci. Yeah, let's transition to to the stay at home order that could be triggered uh, depending on ICU capacities. Um, what, what are your thoughts about how the governor is handling this? Uh, it, it's been sort of a long and winding road. People are exhausted. Parents are exhausted. Small businesses are frustrated. Um, do you think that, you know, the message that he gave today is one that will, you know, help help us get through this, basically?
1: Uh, I think it's really it's really tough. We're kind of in quite the spot now. Um, let me start with the good side, which is, I, you know, the Bay Area is still in actually largely pretty good shape. Um, with the with the situation with the ICU and the hospital situation, with the exception of a few counties, you know, notably Santa Clara County. Um, but you know, I mean, it, it's I think it's important to note that in in the governor's announcement today, he mentioned that you know he broke down the state into five regions and pointed out that the Bay Area is the only one. That likely will not be affected by this new order imminently right like so the rest of the state is just in a matter of days this would probably be applied whereas the bay area you know it would be potentially within a matter of you know two to three weeks um so i think that that's you know important i think things look good here but you know i think what we're seeing here with this new order which is frankly really similar to what we saw back in march right like with just a couple of exceptions probably retail staying open the most notable one it's really very very similar to what we saw before um, and I think what, what that tells us is that, you know, we've had, we've tried the scattershot approach. We've, start, we've tried to do this sort of very measured, very targeted, very kind of focused, um, you know, reopening and and kind of define things. And it's just not working with this particular surge. It's for whatever reason, it's spiraled too fast. Um, it's kind of just got out of our hands. Um, And it's for the first time really putting pressure on the hospitals. And so, you know, I've talked with a lot of experts, in fact, this week who were just pointing out like, at this point, not only are people fatigued, but they're confused. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know about you guys, but I'm, I'm about as tapped into this as anybody. And I couldn't tell you what's allowed from one county to the next. I can't keep track. I have to look it up.
2: So that's, I almost I think, said that, that to Fauci. About. It's like we've all had to become the Fauci's of our own household, basically, right? I mean, and it's, it's a, true. It's hard. And everyone's, I mean, one thing we have learned is how different everybody's idea of what is risky is and, you know, how challenging that can be because you can be talking to someone you think is on the same page as you and they're just, like, doing something that you would never do and it's super. Right. Uh, but I am curious, like, do you feel as if we are changing I know you said the order is similar and I agree, but it also seems like there's some shift in like Newsom saying today, like the bars are going to close and the schools will stay open. Now, granted, most schools aren't open and we're still struggling with that. But do you sense that there's any shift in terms of priorities from the spring that we're finally kind of wrapping our heads around?
1: Um, honestly, I mean, a little bit. I've, again, I will say, you know, there's, there's a, there certainly is a little bit. I don't know if it's priorities so much as an understanding of where the risky locations are. Um, like you pointed out, yeah, it's notable that they're saying, you know, schools can stay open or whatever, but you know, most of them aren't, I mean, certainly in the Bay Area, um, those have been, I mean, that's a whole other can of worms that we can talk about the fact that we just don't really have good guidance on schools. It's up to the districts. Like there's so many issues that are at play there, but you know, it's all fine and good to say that schools stay open and bars are closed. But the truth is bars haven't been open in much of the state throughout this whole thing anyway, and schools have been or allowed to be open and aren't. So, I mean, it's a little bit you know, of politics there, I think, to be able to say that when in fact, it's just sort of doesn't really mean a lot and i mean i don't know about you but i don't know anybody who's been going to, i mean i haven't been to a bar in 2020 probably i can't so. even
2: like this curfew it's like who cares nobody leaves their house after nine o'clock well, exactly. anyway we've
0: got parklets exactly. across from our house where they're doing comedy night in the streets and <laughs> it's all kinds okay. of things happening yeah. in the mission <laughs> for and, sure but i do
1: think i mean this is also very we're talking to have about a very bay area conversation i do think things are very different in other parts of the state you know more rural counties and god knows what's happening down in southern california um i <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think there has been more, a lot more of that socializing, people kind of going out and about and doing that in Southern California. Well, than
0: up here. T- totally. And I think in some of the parts of the state that are going to be subject to this new order is are exactly the places. like i was in lake county a few weeks ago very few people wearing masks in restaurants you know and those are the places that may just ignore all these orders but i want to ask you about leadership because we you know you heard dr fauci talking about the difficulty of kind of you know just navigating different styles and personalities and you know london breed has by and large gotten high marks in san francisco for her handling of this and the city has done reasonably well certainly relative to most parts of the state but at the same time you know she like the governor got caught going to French laundry uh, which undermines her sort of moral authority Uh, and now she's got all these other crises going on with the FBI investigation I know you're not a politics reporter all the time but you know how do you how does how would you grade the job she's doing and how she's being affected by all these outside forces
1: Um, well like you said I'm not a politics reporter so I probably it's it's hard for me to say especially the stuff that's outside the realm of public health um, kind of how that's affecting her. Um I you know, I certainly get the impression that at least as far as San Franciscans go, that there is still, you know, a measure of respect and willingness to follow her. Um I don't I don't get the sense that people in the city are rebelling against I mean they're disappointed. Um and they may even be pissed off and the restaurants especially may be not happy with her. Um you know, I think that there's potential to spin this as sort of like a, you know, very relatable, teachable. I mean, if I were in Hershey's, that's certainly how I would be playing it. Like, look, we all we all get yes. sick of this. Yeah, we're all yeah, fatigued. And I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, we don't
0: yeah. all go to French laundry. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, exactly. So I mean, I think she, I mean, to her credit, she's owning it as much as she can. And and the same. Yeah, I shouldn't have done that. That was a mistake. And what else are, what else can you do, really? Um, but, you know, I, I do think that. It's it's interesting because I don't think in San Francisco, it's necessarily going to be an impact as much. Um, it's more kind of that, how that gets perceived outside. The broader of, narrative by exactly. all these people who are skeptical. And that's anyway. where Newsom is actually in more trouble than she is right. um, because he's and got he's- to have the whole state. And he's the governor. Um, Okay, this is,
2: you know, I, we only got to one question on this, but you've covered so much of, you know, the fallout from the AIDS crisis in San Francisco. And I'm just curious, like, if you had what you thought hearing what Dr. Fauci said about, you know, that idea of like bringing people in and not just being these kind of scientists in their like ivory tower. Um, is that something that you have heard in terms of, his impact on you know that epidemic and and just i don't know the the, the does, do people sort of rec did people in that community still recognize him from those days
1: i think one thing that's really people really value and respect about dr fauci is that he got off to a rough start with them like yeah he was not not loved and he was really and he he was attacked a lot. I mean, there were there was a really bad time there. And I think what people what I've always really respected about him, and you know, I've talked with him a few times over the years, is that he he had that experience and he learned from it and he took it forward and he'll be the first to say, like, yeah, it was rough. And the key thing was to be able to like take that, to be able to listen to what people were really saying and work with them. And even as they kept being mad at you to keep working with them. And to, you know, he was one of those like first real public health leaders to say, we need to bring the people to the table. You know, the people who are directly impacted it, like this whole idea of with HIV and AIDS, even saying they're not AIDS patients. These are people living with AIDS. These are people living with Mm -hmm. HIV, like how you talk about them. Like that was sort of a big part of sort of his, you know, response and how he worked with these communities and recognizing they needed that voice.
0: Well, and I think it's easy to uh, underestimate or forget how big a deal that was because no one had done that before. I mean, these were exactly. ivory towers, you know, and they were the scientists and they knew everything. And to really listen. And the president
2: listen, wouldn't even talk about it. The president you know? wouldn't yeah. talk
0: about it. And for him to listen. And, you know, and it was a real testament to him when Larry Kramer, who started ACT UP, died mm-hmm. before he died. He, you know, he said, I love that guy. I love yeah. Anthony yeah. Fauci. You know, and it was well, a real and tribute. And
1: I did... I did spin it as that as he said, as though he was doing this for the people with HIV and AIDS, but that's actually not the case. He was recognizing it as they had something to add and contribute. Like, they were a necessary voice in our response to this epidemic. It wasn't just doing them a favor. It was like, no, if we're going to resolve this, we need to bring them to the table, which I think, like you said, that was such that was totally game changing. All right. Well,
2: we're going to have to ra- leave it there, but it'll be very interesting to see. Dr. Fauci's next chapter under President (laughs) O'Biden. Sure is Uh, counting the days. (laughs) That was amazing. I'm going to have to take a second there. Uh, Aaron Aldi, San Francisco Chronicle Health Reporter, thank you so much. Thanks a lot. Thanks like, for having me. That's going to do it for this edition of Political Breakdown. We are a production of KQED Public Radio.
0: Our producer is Guy Marzarati. Our engineer is Katie McMurrin. KQED's team includes Holly Kernan, Ethan tovin Lindsay, Vinnie Tong, Erica Aguilar, and Jonathan Blakely. I'm Scott Schaefer. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Scott Schaefer.
2: And I'm Marisa Lagos. You can follow me on Twitter at MLagos. Thanks for listening. Stay safe.